working the pistol. Now Collins stands next to him in the shotgun. Lewerke asks for it and now has it. Lewerke will throw across the middle. Got it complete. Cody Rice behind the Wolverines. He dives. Touchdown, Michigan State. He split the defenders in the Spartan strike first in Ann Arbor. This is Spartan Red Zone, your source for the best MSU and college football analysis, picks, banter, and anything else going on in the college football world. Welcome into the latest edition of Spartan Red Zone. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, as always, sitting in the host chair next to the All-American boy, Zach Serdnick, and the wonderful, illustrious Aiden Champion. Happy Wednesday afternoon to y'all. Hope you guys are having a good week and it's hump day. Like, if we were allowed to, I remember that little Geigo commercial where oh, it's, yeah. it's hump day, I should just get that as like a PSA promo. It's also happy Dylan Tatum day in about an hour and a half Michigan State prospect Dylan Tatum, who Mel Tucker, William Piegler, Harlan Barnett, all these different position coaches, a guy who they've been going after really, really heavily, is set to announce his commitment on the CBS Sports Network. If Mel can pull this off, that's four in-state four-stars and five four-stars overall when you throw in California quarterback Caden Hauser. It's going to be really interesting to see. I just hate that he did it because he announced it earlier in the week that it was going to be on Wednesday, and then it's like, ah, oh, crap, it's right during the sports meeting. Yeah, it's going to be kind of funny because we're recording this right now, but by the time this comes yes. out, everyone will already know what happened in all of that, and we don't. So I guess we, we don't, but we have a direction in which the, it's leaning with yeah. 85 crystal balls going for him going to Michigan State. Yeah, that'll be very interesting to see. Uh, barring some last minute flip, I know we saw last year with um, the guy I'm blanking on his name, the lineman, uh, Rayshon Benny. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. last minute flipped all the crystal balls, but like an hour and a half before his. Commitment. Well, he was Michigan, then he was Michigan State, then he went back. Yeah, to he Michigan committed again. to Michigan State, and then right before he was about to sign, they the flipped National the crystal Star- balls. He waited till February. Yeah, yeah, they flipped the crystal balls, and then he signed with Michigan. So, barring some last minute change, I would expect he'll be in East Lansing. I'm just amazed that he's even in the running for this kid because Rod Bellamy, who was his former head coach at West Bloomfield, is now the safeties coach at Michigan. Like, I don't know what. Magic Juice, Mel has managed to pour all over the whole recruiting scene, but he's making some noise. Wanted to thank you, Zach, for the birthday shout-out to my granddad. He absolutely loved it. it. I give him credit. He was the one that came up with the idea. Yeah. Look, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was too busy smuggling all the Dr. Pepper into my <laughs> gut I could. And then we had, like, Mediterranean chicken galaba, so I was just gorging my face. I didn't even think of that, so that was a good idea. Yeah, Shabath and I were just sitting there pregame, and we were talking about... All sorts of stuff. We were talking about the broadcast and stuff, and uh, we were like, hey, why don't we see if uh, Stearns wants us to give his grandpa a birthday shout-out? And we weren't even, it was funny, we weren't even really, like, thinking that in-depth about it. We were just, we just asked you for his name because we were just going to give him a quick shout-out, and then uh, it turned into a thing where he got to listen to it, and that was really cool. Well, I didn't know this, but apparently if you do, like, Alexa on, you can do Alexa, listen to Michigan State football on WDBM Sports, and it goes right up to it. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Oh, that's kind of cool. That's cool. Like, I guess we're kind of, I, I guess we're synced with Alexis, and now he's like, oh, I can listen to you next week, and the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. I'm like, because he screwed it up the last time he was trying to listen. He was like, I went in my car, and I put it on the radio, and I couldn't hear you guys. I'm like, you're in Taylor. You're 80 <laughs> miles away. Maybe that's why. Remember when I was wondering if we were on there? He's like, well, I thought you guys, I'm like, people in Detroit don't hear us. <laughs> Like, you had me scared for a second, and it's like, well, no, it's just it's uh, just you being you. His real name's Glenwood, but he goes by Patrick, so. All right. Funny story was, he didn't know his real name until he was 18. He always thought huh. his name was Patrick, and then his older brother among called him many things, but he's like, oh, you know, your first name's actually Patrick? 
or your first name's Glenwood? Oh, I didn't know that. Kalan Gervin and Chase Klein both enter the transfer portal, and from the messages that they've sent out in the confirmation, the confirmation tweets that they put out on Twitter, it would seem like they're probably done in East Lansing. Chase Klein's already submitted some film. Kalan Gervin is also submitting some of his reels and his tape out on social media. Why do you transfer through four weeks? I get it's the red shirt thing and you can preserve an extra year of eligibility, but these were two guys who were playing. And the other thing that I personally don't get is you were there all last year for Mel's quote unquote message. You were there during fall camp. You were there during spring practice and you were there through the first four games. I just can't understand why you'd want to jump, jump ship on a team that's four and oh, and where you're playing, you're meaningfully contributing. I totally agree. They're at such a high point in the season right now where there's so much so much momentum. It'd be one thing if this if they're at this stage last year, but I why like you said, why jump ship? I don't understand it at all. So let's see I, if you have the answer, Zach. I'm not sure that I have the correct answer, but I have a thought that could potentially be. So both of these guys were fading quickly on the depth chart. Chase Klein, not as much. Chase Klein was always Linebacker five, though. Special teams and he guy, was a, yeah. He was arguably Michigan State's best special teams player over the past few years. But Kalen Gervin's snaps were fading fast. He didn't play a single snap at corner against Nebraska. He was only in on special teams. Chuck Brantley had hopped him very quickly. And so I think that it kind of goes into a little bit of the redshirt thing, but both of these guys have redshirted already. So I don't know how that's going to work with the COVID year. And I don't really think anybody knows how that's going to work with the COVID year. But... My guess is these are pretty simple transfers in terms of looking for more playing time. But my thing for Michigan State is if you have an injury, that hurts because these guys were both in that next group. Because I can't tell you who cornerback four is going to be right Marquee now. Marquis Lowry, I would have to guess. Is he healthy, healthy, though? Because I don't know that he is. Based on the player availability, they said. Back, yeah. yeah, I agree. Kendall Brooks? I don't know, maybe right. with him. Right, that's yeah. where I'm at right now. Like, I was filling out my prep and my spotting charts for this weekend, and I don't have a cornerback four on there, partially because I have no idea what number Marquis Lowry is going to wear when he gets back because Ronald Good Williams point, is wearing yeah. number nine. But the point is, that leaves a hole if there's an injury. Linebacker, not as much, because you still have Noah Harvey, who has vanished from the face of the earth on their roster in terms of playing. And also, it sounds like from the player availability today, that that next linebacker up is not Noah Harvey. It's Ote Ote is what it's I heard. It's Mata Ote Ote. And that'll be interesting because he's only played in one game so far. He can play in three more and not burn the red shirt. But with that kind of talent, they might just say forget the red shirt and play him there going forward. I mean, he was a high four-star for a reason. Yeah. I mean, he's, the talent's there, the... He was a USC commit, folks, so it's not like this kid was at Bowling Green and then left and decided to commit to Michigan and State. his, his yeah. brother's playing at Ohio State now. Yeah, was it Pele Ote Ote or something? Yeah, he, was he, was, he was one of the 50 he was best at, recruits in the country. Yeah, he was at USC, and then he transferred out. Does anybody know who Devin Williams for the Cardinals is right now? He's for the Brewers, or but the yes. Bre- oh, my I'm goodness. Just, I'm just scrolling nuts. through my Twitter feed, and it said he apparently fractured his pitch hand after punching a wall. During their celebration yes. from winning the Central Division, he punched the wall because he had too much to drink, and now he's out for the entire postseason. Yeah. I shouldn't be laughing, but it's like, that's just so stupid. Pulling up Brennan Dawson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that was out of frustration. Yeah. 
So I wasn't in the booth for the Nebraska game for obvious reasons, but after they won, my immediate thought, and I texted Zach this, we're going somewhere warm. It wasn't anything about the takeaways. It wasn't anything about the broadcast. I am now obsessed like the selection show. Like, are we going to go here? Are we going to go here? Are we going to go here? And I'm thinking it's either maybe the Citrus Bowl in Orlando or whatever, that Las Vegas Bowl. Jerry Palm actually has them playing USC in Vegas, which would be absolutely awesome. ESPN has them, both ESPN guys has them in the Outback Bowl in Tampa playing Texas A&M. That works too. I can live with that. But uh, it's still way too early because this team has a lot of potential. And I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll say this again, but I could see this team right now beating any team on their schedule. I could also see this team right now losing to any team on their schedule. Yeah. I don't know. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. One thing that I'm absolutely right about, and I think this is the best take I'm ever going to have <laughs> on SRZ ever, the best thing about parties is when you don't organize them, you get to show up and you get to take all the extra food home. I got five cartons of Dr. Pepper in my fridge right now and, like, just resting on my shelves. It is awesome. Like, no, everybody in my family is, like, 50 or 60. I have a couple older cousins who aren't big pop drinkers but are no we don't want it we don't want well nathan you can have it oh are you sure i don't want to impose are you are you positive like i don't want to if you want it aunt nancy go well no i'm 75 i'm well if you insist i guess i can acquiesce your request so really happy about that that was probably the best part of my entire saturday MSU versus Nebraska. Oh, boy, we can go in a lot of different directions with this one. I actually screenshotted a picture of the box score of the team-by-team statistical statistical breakdown, and I put, need I say more? Nebraska, 26 first downs. Michigan State, 12 first downs. Nebraska, 442 yards of total offense to Michigan State's 254. Michigan State only rushes for 71 yards. Nebraska rushes for 194, just missing that 200-yard threshold. Michigan State with four more penalty yards than Nebraska. And the kicker for me, Nebraska holds onto the ball for nearly 38 minutes. Michigan State just over a hair of 22 and a half minutes. You had 14 yards of total offense in the second half and no first downs, and you still beat a Power 5 team at home. Like, I have never seen, objectively speaking, I have never seen a box score this lopsided with the team who it's lopsided against finds a way to win. Yeah. Chappy? I was just going to say, I mean, this just all goes to show that this is just this was one of those games where at the end of the day, you just got to find a way to win it. And I think that's the biggest takeaway of this game. I know it's cliche, but I mean, when it was halfway through the fourth quarter and it looked like Michigan State had nothing going on for its offense and Rutgers was going to march out of there giving them their first loss. I mean, they shouldn't have won that game, but the fact that they pulled it off in overtime, I think, does speak. Uh, it says a lot about them. Yeah, um, there's a lot of different takes that I have on this game. Uh, I went and rewatched it. The offense was bad in the second half, but I don't think it was the play calling. Shabath was very much on the broadcast. He felt like they had gone through their entire playbook in three weeks, and that's why they were struggling. I disagree. Um, Tucker called it death by a thousand inches, or death he by... He said it four or five times yeah, yesterday. Death by inches, but I think that in reality, it was Peyton Thorne didn't make throws. 
And Peyton Thorne was up front with that after the game. He said, we struggled because I didn't play well. And he's not wrong. There were a lot of times where he missed wide open receivers. Jalen Naylor had zero touches in this football game. Yeah, that, that's a problem. That now, is a problem. He got his hand on the ball a few times when it was behind him or when he snatched the kickoff return right out of the hands of Jaden Reed when either of them could have had 30 yards on the return instead it turned into a 15-yard return because he came over and just took it from him and then they like looked at each other. But I think that Thorne's going to need to right the ship. But what I was really impressed with was that this team didn't go away. And Champion kind of mentioned it. They found a way to win the game. And also, side note a little bit, the atmosphere was electric, but it died for a little bit. There were people that left, and I mentioned this on the broadcast. I was like, I wonder how those people are feeling now that walked out of the stadium when uh, Michigan State couldn't score offensively. But somebody posted on Twitter, rest in peace to the Woodshed brand, 2021 to 2021, uh, with like five minutes left. And then when Reed returned it for the touchdown... They posted the gif of uh, the Undertaker popping out of the coffin <laughs> after he returned the touchdown. And that's kind of what it felt like, though. Like, that place was dead. Yeah. There was no energy in there. And then, and our view from the press box, at least where we were at the booth, I don't know what your guys' was like, champion, but it was just perfect to see that punt return play out. Because oh, yeah. I, like, I was on play-by-play for the second half, so I did, like, a double take. I was like, wait a second. The ball's not going... Everybody's flowing to the right side of the field. The ball's over here. They're over there. I was like, wait a second. And then I was like, they're not going to get it. Jalen Naylor doesn't have the ball. Everybody's the guy who has the balls 30 feet or 30 yards in the other direction. And there was no chance of anybody. Yes, there was a guy that he broke a tackle, but he was not getting brought down. When he had that much space, it was over. And that place came to life. And Michigan State's defense was really, really good in that game. Stearns, before you harp on the O-line, I want to... Oh, yeah, I put a note in there on the O-line I wanna <laughs> under his comment. Say real quick, when I was up in the booth with, uh, or in the press box with Liam Jackson, uh, I <laughs> said to him, I said, I feel like an idiot now for defending the O-line against Stearns in last week's SRZ, because, man, was he right. I will defend the O-line in a minute, but you guys go ahead. Okay, first thing I'll say, I only really caught the second half of this game. I was able to catch the the latter half of the second quarter when Coughlin had the 26 and the 27-yarder. I was at my granddad's house, and I drove back. It's about a 30-minute drive from Taylor to Celine. By the time I got back, we were about halfway through the third quarter. Thorne wasn't missing Naylor in the fact that it was 40 yards down the field. It was check down throws he was missing. It was crossing routes in that soft zone, and it's behind him. It's over here. It's over here. It's to his left. It's to his right. It's down the dirt. He was a little discombobulated, but you'd rather him do that and throw the ball in the dirt than say, you know what? Here, whatever happens, go deep, and then just throw it 50 yards in the air. That's what he did on the first drive. He did. <laughs> he did. I But in crunch time. In crunch time is what I mean with him not doing that. What I heard from Tucker the other day is what I've seen from this offensive line all bloody, I don't want to say all year, but all since I've been here. He called it death by a thousand inches. It wasn't one guy just not doing his job across the board, play after play after play. It was, okay, we were combo blocking up to the linebacker a a split second late. We weren't 
um, setting the edge quite as fast. We weren't getting off our blocks quite at the right time. It was just an angle here, a misstep here, a false step there, our pad level being a little too high, us not doing quite as good of enough job with reach blocking. And I know Nebraska's front seven played well. Like, not to take anything away from them. But coming into this game, what did I say? More than half of Kenneth Walker's yards, I don't have the exact number because it varies based on what statistical organization you use, whether it's PFF or Rivals or some other statistical thing. More than half his yards this year have come after contact. He is a, to quote Chris Kaplovich, a human eraser in that you can do everything wrong and he will make it look like you do everything right. But you knew that it was only a matter of time because... At the end of the day, you're still rotating in 10 people. Doesn't mean That means you don't have enough confidence in your starters. You still don't have a five that you trust. If you had a five that you trusted and a five that you were confident in, we wouldn't be in this mess. People, I don't, I don't think people realize how rare it is to be a third of the way through the season and still have 9 to 10 offensive linemen rotating in regularly. You see very few teams that rotated in two centers and two left tackles and having Kevin Jarvis go from right guard to right tackle, back to right guard, and Luke Campbell going over here and then over here and then over here, and Blake Buter going in at center and then going in at left guard and this, that, and the other. It was a matter of time because I think Kenneth Walker and Peyton Thorne, they've really masked the issues of this offensive line, but you knew it was a matter of time. It might have not happened versus Nebraska. It might have not happened versus versus Western Kentucky, but it was going to happen. You didn't block good enough. You didn't drive your feet well enough. There were too many miscommunications. And at the end of the day, it's on you when you're running back who had 500 rushing yards through three weeks, took, pretty much took off the Youngstown State game, and before that 23-yard run in overtime was a non-factor. Kenneth Walker couldn't do anything. Jordan Simmons couldn't do anything, albeit he didn't play much. Nebraska got in the backfield a lot, a whole heck of a lot. They weren't running anything exotic. So at least for me, yes, I give credit to Nebraska's front seven, but got to play better on the offensive line. I agree, but I'm going to really give credit to Nebraska's front seven because there were a lot of, yes, the offensive line was bad. Yes, the offensive line needs to be better. I'm going to credit Kenneth Walker's struggles to the Nebraska front seven because there were so many times where they made open field tackles that nobody else has made, and they swarmed to the ball so well. Kenneth Walker got space, just like he did in other games, and those other teams, he would make a move, and then he's by somebody. The problem is, if he makes a move against that Nebraska front seven— all of a sudden, there's four more Cornhuskers right on top of him. And so he didn't have the space to be able to do that in the open field because of how well Nebraska's front seven played. JoJo Doman was phenomenal up front. Luke Reimer was really good. Those linebackers were strong, and that front group on the line got into the backfield a lot as well. And so, yes, there were some times that he never stood a chance, but also I think that there was there's some credit there to Nebraska's front seven against Kenneth Walker. And watching that game makes me very curious to see what's going to happen when Michigan goes down to Lincoln next week. because Not like this upcoming week, but the week after. Because Michigan's offense is predicated on the run. Is that Blake Corum? If Nebraska can stop Blake Corum, I don't know what Michigan's going to do. And I that's why I'm very interested 
getting ahead of myself here, but the next two weeks to see what Michigan does because we haven't seen them had to we haven't seen them throw the ball yet. When Rutgers forced them to throw the ball, they didn't score in that second half of that game. They almost lost that game. So I told you. I don't really know. I told you last week. Your nineteen points is too much of a is too much. Can't take U of M against Rutgers, but what does Nathan know? Nathan doesn't know anything. That losing record in the pick'em says uh, says something, Stones. Wait, am I? I'm 10 <laughs> 11. God bless America. <laughs> I do the math and then just like mentally just put a block around it and put a wall around it because I don't like facing it. Healthy way to deal with your problems, kids. Push them down and down and down and down and never deal with them in a healthy way whatsoever. Bottom line for me, though, you had 14 yards of total offense in the second half. You can attribute that any way you want, but when you have no first downs in the second half, it's not good. A lot of times it's going to be because your running back is dead to right on third. They were awful on third and short. Well, I mean, the number that I noticed that jumps out to me in that screenshot that it took me a couple times to look at it to notice it. One of 10 on third downs. Yeah, one of 11. One of 11. One of 11 on third downs. And that's not good. Um, Not at all. Now, I think Michigan State wins this game not in overtime if the call on third down doesn't get overturned after they forced the fumble when it was 13-13. to They forced the fumble, and it looked like they were going to run away from him just like they did in Miami. And Jaden Reed comes in, and he catches the ball, or doesn't catch the ball, right at the sticks going to the ground. And they call it a catch on the field. From the views we saw in the booth, or like on the video board, there was nowhere near enough evidence to overturn that. They must have saw something different. But if that ball's caught, Michigan State's inside the 30, moving the ball with a chance to take the lead and get all the momentum back. But then they went three and out again, and all of a sudden, I mean, they ran, what, 15 plays in the second half, five three and outs? I mean, that's not good. Speaking of what could have been, how about that blocked kick right before the half? I mean, that... <laughs> that was so bad to watch. That entire, like, the end of that first half, uh, Liam and I talked about it on Green and White because I was talking to Liam at halftime, but I was... So convinced Michigan State was losing that game at halftime. Really? I mean, I was so like, I'm not like, like we're not, we're Michigan State students and we're media. We're not like Michigan State, like diehard Michigan State fans type things. But as student broadcasters, it is a whole lot more fun to call a game for it or when the team is doing well and winning. Yeah. Yeah. And it was extremely frustrating in that first half to call that game. And then in the second half, it was just as bad until the very last five minutes of the game and overtime. But it was so frustrating. That team got inside the 20, field goal. Inside the 20, field goal. Inside the 30. Yeah, let's kick a field goal. Oh, wait, never mind. We're going to just have our holder keep both hands on the ball and Matt Coughlin kick it, but he can't kick it because the holder's got both hands on the ball. And just, oh, it was very, very frustrating. But I will give Liam credit. He said this. I gave him credit on the air in the middle of the broadcast call, like right after I had called the play. Liam comes up to me at halftime and he says, if there's going to be a day where Jaden Reed's going to return a kick for a touchdown, it's going to be tonight. And uh, he was right. He was right. He actually posted on Twitter too because he said he was really glad that he put it on Twitter so it was in writing. But yeah, and that was huge. Here's where it comes down for me. And... This is going to be another cliche sort of sentiment, but it's true. Like, people always get mad. Oh, that's a cliche thing you're saying. That's not. It's true. There's a reason that cliches yes. became cliche. 
good teams find a way to win games when they don't play well. That was a Mark D'Antonio-esque win if I've ever seen one. It was ugly. You get your offense looks like a seventh grade JV. I guess JV's not seventh grade, but your your offense looks like it's being run by Alonzo Stagg from 1920. You make fundamental error after fundamental error after fundamental error, but you just hang around long enough. Your defense just just does just does enough to give you a prayer to keep the pulse alive. And you need one play. You need one big play, and one of your playmakers has it. That wasn't pretty. That was an ugly win. That was the worst game, bar none, they've played all year. And I don't think anybody would disagree with that in any capacity. It's frankly not even close. But you still found a way to win. You woke up Sunday morning and you're 4-0. You woke up Sunday morning and you're 2-0 in the Big Ten East. You're knocking on the door of knocking down the Vegas odds makers who said they were going to win four and a half games this year. You take care of business against Western Kentucky and have already blown that out of the water. You're still a ranked team. You're still 4-0. Did you play good? No, but you found a way to win. And I'm hoping, and I think Mel was mad in it, in that presser on Tuesday, pounding the podium and talking about we need to get 11 hats to the ball and we need to have sideline discipline and stop getting stupid penalties after touchdowns. I'm hoping that's the wake-up call they needed because I told you guys after the Miami win, I feel like there's going to be a little bit of a hangover. I feel like they're going to sleepwalk a little bit. I have a feeling with the woodshed environment, with all this stuff, you start to buy into all of the artificial stuff. Oh, we want to put on a good show for Caden Hauser and Alex Van Sumer and Jaden Mangum and all those other four-star recruits that are visiting. Oh, we want to make our fans happy and proud. You start worrying about that and you lose sight of what's right in front of you. And that's getting the job done. That was the other reason, too, I was so mad when I was watching that game initially. Because I was watching it back home. I'm like, oh, they're done. I've seen enough. They're they're kind of screwed. Is Alex Van Sumer and Jaden Mangum, Caden Hauser, they're there. Five-star yeah. recruit Dante Moore. Well, and um, I, Armani Winfield was there, too. The Texas command, who I'm starting to wonder. Was if he he's there? Still, I heard, I, I, I heard I conflicting he reports I think he about was. that. I think he was, but... Like in the in the lead up to it, some people said he was going, some people said he wasn't going. I wasn't but sure. At the end of the day, it's like, why? That's the game you can't lose because that's such a bleep show you put on for the audience. But at the end of the day, you won, and we talked about this, and we've talked about this, and we've talked about this. Going into this year, there were games that I had in my toss up column. You had in your toss up column, Zach. Aiden had in his toss up column. I had Northwestern. I had Miami and I had Nebraska. I didn't even have Miami in that toss-up column at the start of the year. I had Miami, like if it's the electoral college, I had (laughs) Miami like leaning in the other direction, but I didn't think it was so unbelievable to think they wouldn't win just because I didn't know how healthy Derek King was, just because, again, you play in the Coastal Division, just because the year before the pandemic you went 6-7. and You're now 3-0 and in quote-unquote toss-up games. And we talked about how this stretch of Miami, of Northwestern, of Nebraska, of Western Kentucky, how that was going to sort of make or break your season. You lose to Northwestern, you lose to Nebraska, completely different tone. But you're 4-0, and and the Mel Tucker rebuild phase doesn't look like a rebuild anymore. You finish this year 8-4, and which is very plausible with the schedule they have, mind you. 
You take care of business against Western Kentucky, and we'll get into that a little bit later. You have Rutgers. You have Indiana, who barely squeaked by Western Kentucky, and I've got some serious questions about Indiana as a football team because they've seen they've seen like they've come back down to earth a little bit. Purdue, Michigan, Maryland at home. All you need to do is finish four and four. Then you're eight and four at the end of the year, and you're bringing in a top fifteen recruiting class. Like at that point, the rebuild's over, and the expectation is you're going to win nine or ten games. Yeah, I don't think that. Honestly, I don't think this Michigan State team is very happy if they finish 8-4 and four at this Neither point. Neither do I. I think that this team expects to be at a high level, and we've not to beat a dead horse or anything, but this statement is going to come up on this podcast quite a bit if Michigan State continues to have success. Good teams find ways to win games like that. If Michigan State wants to get to where they, or if Michigan State is going to get where they want to get, they have to win games even if they don't play well. Ugly, yeah. And you that's what they did. Games. And they have they have the athletes. They have the talent to compete in this conference and at the top of this conference, minus Ohio State's athletes. But are they going to be able to do it? And that was the big question. And the answer so far has been yes. But there's not a single team that Michigan State has played yet that has proven that they can be that they can compete with the top teams in the conference or in the schedule though, except Nebraska weirdly enough over the last 2 weeks and I'm not saying that it matters I'm not no. saying it's a negative I'm just saying that we don't know what's going to happen next Western Kentucky is a solid football team yeah Rutgers is a solid football team Indiana is a talented football team they have not played well but they have talent so we're going to see I, I just, like, when you talk about, well, they haven't faced a team that's pro none of the teams they're playing are going to really have that opportunity. That's the beauty of playing right. teams from the Big Ten West. It's like, you're going to play 80 more Nebraskas and Northwesterns, i.e. Purdue, i.e. Maryland, i.e. teams that are kind of on that same competitive spear that are decent. They have some guys, but they're not world beaters, and they win a lot of ugly games, and they're always in a lot of ugly games. Bold take, Nebraska will win will finish over 500 in the Big Ten and pick up one ranked win, whether it be one ranked upset, whether it be Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio State, or Iowa. Nebraska will beat one of those four teams. We shall see. My God, I put this, my God, Jaden Reed is a stud. That 62-yard punt return touchdown with 347 remaining in the fourth quarter was the first time since Keyshawn Martin versus Northwestern in 2011. The first overtime win for Michigan State since October 27th of 2012 versus Wisconsin, who was ranked number 25 at the time. How about Jacob Panashuk? I have never seen a box score where a guy has 14 pressures. That is insane. Two sacks, the forced fumble, X-Man, Xavier Henderson hits 17 tackles. That is a Luke Keekley, Brian Erlacher-esque number. Before we moved on to some Big Ten stuff, I wanted to ask you guys this because you guys saw the Trey Mosley coming out party, the six catches for 70 yards, which I believe was the best mark on the team for that game. Was, yeah. Is he really supplanted himself as this number three wide receiver? Or you think we see any more rotation, or do you think it's really going to be the Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor, Trey Mosley show going forward? Because he has 13 receptions for 193 yards, and that's the second best mark on the season for Michigan State. He actually has more receiving yards than Jalen Naylor through four weeks, and I don't think a lot of people would have thought that. I think they're going to kind of keep that big three of Naylor, uh, Reed, and Mosley, and um, 
mostly certain uh, certainly has come onto the scene. I think he will get um, a lot more targets over the, the next few weeks, so long as you know everybody stays healthy. But yeah, I don't know why it feels to me like he's been here forever. I mean, he's a sophomore, but it feels to me like he's been here for like six years. It does. Yeah. Um, but he's solid, and I kind of heard rumors at the start of the year that. It was not necessarily a dynamic duo, but it was a big three. And Mosley seems to have proven that accurate so far. But Jalen Naylor's going to explode one of these games. There's going to be a game where Jalen Naylor's going to have a game like Reed had against Youngstown State. He's just too good. And so I think that we're going to see Mosley be that number three guy. And I think he'll finish with the stats right around the number three spot. And I think that's a good thing for Michigan State because he is a very, very strong number three receiver. Well, and the other thing, it too, it allows you is you don't have to burn Keon Coleman's redshirt anymore. You have a guy that supplanted himself in that number three wide receiver slot. And between Christian Fitzpatrick and Cade McDonald and Terry Lockett and all these other guys, he played the first two games, but we haven't seen much of Keon Coleman since. And I'm starting to wonder if Mel's saying, okay, your spot right now, you're probably our fourth or fifth best wide receiver. That's not worth it right now to burn your red shirt. Now, Charles Brantley, on the other hand, will burn his red shirt. Mel's, Mel basically said as much yesterday. He was asked a question about specifically that, and he said over and over again, we're not going to burn a young, talented player's red shirt if they're not going to meaningfully contribute. And what meaningfully contribute means could mean different things to different people. But for me, it's like you have a consistent role on offense. Being on the kickoff coverage or kickoff return team is not meaningfully contributing, even though Coach said it was. You can get another guy to do that somewhat adequately. But at the end of the day, I you won. You found a way to win. I'm going to be interested to see going forward how you respond versus a very, very, very scary Western Kentucky team. People underestimate how good Western Kentucky is, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but they terrified me. And they terrify me for a number of reasons. Anything else, folks? Uh, I agree that they're a scary opponent, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, definitely not an opponent to overlook. Some Big Ten scores from week four of the college football season. Michigan squeaks out a win versus Rutgers 20-13. to Penn State clobbers Villanova 38-17. to Notre Dame... Blows Wisconsin off the face of the earth, 41-13. In the to final 13. 14 minutes. I know there was the two pick sixes. No, that game was such a good game. Well, it was such a close game until that fourth quarter. Like Wisconsin was up 13-10 to 10 with 14 minutes left and lost 41-13. to 13. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Like, Gra- that is nuts. The, Gra- the Graham Mertz Express kind of blew up. It was this, It's the same thing with the Michigan State-Miami game. Like, no, Michigan State's not three touchdowns better than Miami. Like, the score is not an accurate depiction of how close this game was, but at the end of the day, you still won by four touchdowns. Iowa beats Colorado State in a sloppy fest, 24-14. to 14. I think Iowa's bored. Like, what do you – you're the top five team. Oh, we're playing Colorado they State. They looked bored. All right. Like they, they, can we play somebody interesting? When, when do we get to go play Ohio State in the Big Ten championship yeah, they were, in Indy? Yeah. They were losing that game, and then they just were like, oh, wait, uh, yeah, we we're are, supposed yeah. to play now? And then they immediately, like, in the span of, like, five minutes – Scored and went up 24-14 and then just stopped scoring again. Like, I was so amazed by that game. Northwestern beats Ohio 35-6. Purdue beats Illinois 13-9 at home. 
Seems like Purdue's always in those games. Ohio State takes care of business against Akron, 59-7. Indiana squeaks by Western Kentucky, 33-31 on the road. The fighting P.J. Flex with a bad loss to Bowling Green, 14-10. That might have been the worst loss of any Power 5 team in Week 4. They're not very good anymore. Bowling Green in the past had some good years in the in the MAC, dueling Toledo, dueling Northern Illinois, but they've kind of been the perennial doormat of the MAC for a little while now. So not a good loss for Fleck at all. Maryland kills Kent State thirty-seven to sixteen. And before we talk a little bit about Western Kentucky, we have to get into my favorite section <laughs> of the podcast on a weekly basis. I actually remembered. To change, oh wait, I changed the offensive, I changed the offensive name and I completely forgot to do the defensive player. So let me think of a witty defensive thing while I share my SRZ Pat Rule Offensive Player of the Week selection. So for those of you who don't know, Pat Rule was a Michigan State offensive line coach from 1998 to 1999. And you're probably thinking, what, Nathan, why the heck do I care? Well, apparently, according to Mel Tucker, he's the one who originally coined the term the woodshed. He gave a, somebody asked us about the wood. Somebody asked Mel about the woodshed, and he proceeded to give a 15-minute historical lecture about, oh, when I was a GA and Pat Rule was here, he called it the woodshed, and Saban liked it and ran with it, and yada, yada, yada. I'm going to go with Traylon Burks, the Arkansas wide receiver who had six catches for 167 yards in a score in that surprising 20-7 win over Texas A&M. I think all four of us took Texas A&M to win that game going away, but that's a big, big win for an Arkansas Razorback program that, again, has been the perennial doormat alongside Vanderbilt and the SEC. So my hat's off to Burks. My offense player of the week is Penn State's Sean Clifford. Threw for 401 passing yards and four touchdowns in the Nittany Lions 38-17 win. I'm going to go with the cop-out answer. Um... Actually, I'm just looking at these and realizing that all three of my answers have to do with the Michigan State game. Uh, but we're going to stay local in East Lansing just because it's on the mind. And we're going to go Jaden Reed. I know it says offensive. I'm just going to talk about like getting into the end zone because he did it all. Michigan State scoring. One, I guess we didn't touch on this. How many teams get a flea flicker to work twice <laughs> in the same season? Much less in the span of three weeks. Yeah, good question. Now, also, I guess if you really watch that play, Nebraska wasn't really fooled on the flea flicker. Jaden Reed just, just ran past He just people, burned him. Yeah. But, no, Reed was phenomenal in all aspects and had a huge game for Michigan State there. All right, we move on to our SRZ Phil Snow Defensive Player of the Week. Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator for my beloved <laughs> Carolina Panthers. Carolina currently 3-0 and on the season and sporting the number one overall defense in every major statistical category, yards per game, sacks, fumbles, interceptions, the whole nine yards. I know they played the Jets and the Texans, but don't take this away from me. I wasn't going to. I was going to say that's real nice, considering their defense helped me beat you by uh, three-tenths I, of a point in fantasy. Grants, I haven't even checked. Like, I, I don't <laughs> care about... After we, I don't care either. I just thought it was funny. Like, well, that, that, that's, that's, that's not the that's league the I care Sturgis about. That's the old now. There's a college league that I'm in with all the old boys from Impact and then the one back home. The one back home, I'm 3-0. The one that I'm 2-1 and one that I lost this week to Ian Gilmore, I'm not happy about because he had Christian McCaffrey. Ooh. And I thought, oh, McCaffrey's done after two weeks or after two quarters. Yeah, I should be in good shape. Nope. Offense laid a giant deuce. Thanks, Washington defense. A bunch <laughs> of... 
I'm going with Jacob Panishu. Not because it's a cop-out answer, but just because he had 14 flipping pressures. That is insane. Like, you can't not commend that. That is one of... PF, I was reading a PFF grading thing on their official Twitter account, and they said that's one of the highest grades they've ever recorded. Most defensive ends in college don't get 14 pressures a year. But in one game... Like, my goodness, that is just an on. That's the equivalent of having a defensive bat get like five interceptions in a game. That is unreal. What do you guys think? Um, I am also staying home with this one. I'm going Xavier Henderson. I got to. Um, I mean, it's just bizarre the performance he had 17 total tackles. Uh, only Michigan State could have at least gotten one interception, but still, 17 tackles that's... for. For a safety, I know you're playing in the box and you're doing some really interesting things, sort of that roving Viper linebacker, but still, I mean, he was in the box and he's ev- he was absolutely everywhere. I mean, that, that, they had two good defensive performances that you, can, that you can't not commend, that you can't not say something about. Yeah, so originally I was going to go Henderson, but I kind of took it off the dock because I was going to change it, so champion... Went and took that one, oh. which is all good. Did you put that on the dock? I took it off because I decided I didn't want to use it. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, so you're safe. You're good. <laughs> um, I'm going to go Georgia's entire defense. Or actually, I'm going to go Vanderbilt's offense as the defensive player of the week. If you want to boost on your defense, go play Vanderbilt. They're not good at all. And... It just is frustrating to watch because uh, I went and said something about Georgia. Didn't think they were that high level yet. Couldn't score. Vanderbilt gives up 35 points in the first quarter because their offense can't move the ball at all. So Vanderbilt's offense, you suck. On that note, we will transition over to the SRZ Joey Ellis Memorial Powerhouse Frame of the Week. And this is where I get on my little soapbox and I try not to throw a chair through the window. <laughs> he's sore and will be ready when he's ready. Go to attribute that quote to Mel Tucker when he was asked about Drew Beasley's injury status. Last week when he was asked about Elijah Collins' injury status, that's what he said. When he was asked about Anthony Russo in the postgame, that's what he said. At what point do you stop trying to hold the, the, the cards so close to your bloody vest like Cameron Jorby, who's Miami's SID, when we go down there, MSU doesn't release a depth chart, and he pulls us to the side and says, you know, it's kind of BS that your head coach, your athletic department doesn't release a depth chart. And I, I don't get it. That's my question. I, screw every tactical advantage. You're in week five. Everybody knows what you're going to run. Maybe the first week or two, it's a liable excuse, but... Everybody knows you're playing Quavaris Crouch and Cal Holiday. Everybody knows that Jacob Panashuk and Jalen Hunt, Deshaun Naylor, and Jacob Slade and Simeon Burrow are going to be on your defensive line. And everybody knows who's on your offensive line, who your starting quarterback is, and who your starting running back is. Who the hell are you trying to fool? What are you trying to hide? Just to make the media's lives exponentially harder? Like... For a guy that goes and says, oh, I appreciate what you guys do. We couldn't do everything with... It's like, you know what you're doing. You have been in this business long enough to know damn well what you're doing is screwing us up. Like, and he knows it. And he does it anyway. And I can't think of, like, some tactical advantage. I didn't get bent out of shape about it against Northwestern for obvious reasons. 
Nobody knows who your quarterback is. Nobody knows who, how the running back rotation is going to be. Nobody knows who's starting at linebacker. But now, everybody knows. And there's not something that you're going to have on that depth chart if you release it, that's going to be some magical, unbelievable, oh my God, Zach, Bales- Zach Gillespie and Donovan Eaglin are starting? What? Gotta get the tape. Like, it just... <laughs> Stearns is about to erupt like a volcano right now. <laughs> <laughs> Pisses me off. All right, so this episode is called uh, Mount Stearns. I don't think people Something are going like to get that. that. No, gonna... we need... We need a better one, but something about Stearns and a volcano. We'll think of it. You'll see it as the episode title, or you won't. But um, for mine, I don't know why, but I have, like, I've realized that, like, for some reason, I've just become really, like, sarcastic with these, and I'm not, like, that sarcastic of a person, but I guess that's what we're doing, and I'm doing it again today. Uh, Nebraska's punt unit. So many things went so bad. They had William Pristep, who was a punter here at Michigan State. And then transferred out his first punt of the game, 28 yards. Not great. His second punt of the game, 7 yards. Not great. Then they bring out their backup punter to punt later. He punts it to the wrong side of the field. Jaden Reed walks into the end zone. On a drive, too. The coverage team has no time to get down the field. Well, and according to Scott Frost after the game, supposedly... The reason wasn't that Jalen Naylor faked them out or anything. It was that he was supposed to kick the ball to the other side of the field, and he didn't. So, just overall, let's let's get a standing ovation for Nebraska's punt team. <laughs> oh, my God. It, oh, good news, though. Good news. We are actually having a little dine-in celebration at the... Recently oh, I saw that. Trowbridge Taco. <laughs> the, oh, I am so hungry. I saw that Last time chat. I went there, I had nine crunchy tacos. Dude, so. I'm, I don't eat tacos. So I will. I might go and hang out, but I I don't like tacos. You're fired. It's okay. We love you anyway. We can count up the amount of times that I've been fired off of this show. And Champion's been fired. Stearns <laughs> just fires everybody all the time. Um, lastly, my powerhouse frame of the week is Qdoba. It's Qdoba Wednesday, a tradition that... Uh, my roommates and I look forward to every Wednesday. You get a $5 discount for burritos at Qdoba every Wednesday off of Grand River. So that what? is uh, all I can really think about No right calls now. to action. God dang it. I'm kidding. You're incredibly right. hungry right now. I am too. I, I had a couple of bags. You know, one thing I've really gotten into is sun butter. Like for the longest what? time when I was a kid. Like sunflower seed butter? Yeah. Yeah. When I was, well, I can't eat peanut butter. Yeah. I can't yeah. eat. Okay. You know, I mean, well, if I ate peanut butter right now, you'd have, you'd have to be wheeling me out right now in 10 minutes in a body bag. And I don't, you know, really want to die from basically choking to death. Um, But no, when I was a kid, I used to hate it. Like I just ate cereal, you know, Fruit Loops and rice milk and cornflakes and all the crap. But lately it's like, I'll have a bagel with more sun butter and jelly than I can care and it just leaves a giant mess all over the place because i use way too much and instead of like spreading it i'll just get it like out of the bottle and just like it'll be like giant globs all over the bagel because i'm a pig but i like it like that like i'm a i'm a sauce like if and you guys know like i'll go to a barbecue place the more sauce the better screw dry rub like i want as much sauce and i want to look like at that bar (laughs) Oh. <laughs> that Stearns finished in like five minutes champion and I he went to the bathroom and the wings were there while he was in the bathroom he comes back it's champion or before he comes back champion and I are like he's gonna come out here in like 10 minutes and he's gonna have them all gone before we get our food and he did now 
it did take them another 25 minutes to get our food, but that's not the point. He finished those things in like, how many were there? 20 wings? Yeah, and it was like, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. I mean, he was smashing on I was a, when I When I'm hungry, I can eat an inordinate amount. It doesn't help when your grandfather says, you know, I've been alive for 80 years and you've eaten more. You can eat more than anybody I've ever met in my life. <laughs> I, I've heard that. So I heard that again on Saturday, so that was great. But, I mean, that I, I did eat way too much. But this week in the Big Ten, Michigan travels to Camp Randall to take on Wisconsin. Minnesota travels to Purdue. An interesting test for Ohio State as they travel to Rutgers. Indiana at Penn State. Charlotte, the Charlotte 49ers face off against Illinois. Sneaky, sneaky game. I probably should have put that in the pick but I know nobody else other than me gives two craps about that game. But Charlotte has upset Duke, and they are a sneaky, solid CUSA team. Iowa travels to Maryland, and in the PU Bowl of the week, Northwestern travels to Nebraska. Which of the two Michigan State opponents is better? My gut my gut, in, tells me Nebraska. I would think so, too, but Northwestern looks solid this weekend. They benched Hunter Johnson um, You beat again. Ohio. Congrats. Well, yeah, but... They dominated Ohio. They beat them 35 to 6 in the you same. You beat Ohio, congrats. <laughs> Agreed. But they looked better, is all I'm saying. And I'm saying that they benched Hunter Johnson and went to Ryan Helensky, who I kind of thought was going to be the starter in the first place there. And so maybe. You beat Ohio, congrats. <laughs> I said, oh, Ohio's an 0 4 team. Ohio wasn't. Oh, I think they only played like three games last year, too. They didn't play once because I know they had a crap ton of COVID issues, but. but Nonetheless, the, the I, games I'm looking at, though, are that Ohio State Rutgers game could be interesting. Um, obviously, Michigan, Wisconsin. But the sneaky one I'm looking at is Iowa at Maryland. Yeah. Partially because I personally don't think Maryland's that good. I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. So I kind of hope Iowa goes in there and beats them by five touchdowns. But also, Maryland might prove me wrong and beat Iowa this weekend. Tongue of Iloa looks good at home. He doesn't look good on the road. That game against Illinois was... Very, very, very bad to watch. Um, but just in general, that could be a sneaky good game. And it's a Friday night game at 9 o'clock. Did you guys hear what Loxley said about it in his press conference? No, not a clue. Something about... Uh, I don't care wondering... enough about him to find out about it. <laughs> just wondering uh, how long it's going to take them to get full uh, membership rights to the conference so they don't have to keep playing these 9 o'clock games on Friday nights. <laughs> yeah, sounds accurate. Sounds accurate. <laughs> I just... I don't care enough about I don't either. I Maryland saw it on football Twitter. to scroll through their thing. Now we get to the meat and potatoes, to quote Mel Tucker, portion, portion of the podcast. Let's look over Western Kentucky. The one and two Hilltoppers come in with a win over UT Martin, 59 to 21, and a 35 to 38 loss to Army and a 33 to 31 loss to Indiana. This game has scared me. And has scared me for a while. I actually told Luke, our sports director, if Nebraska and Western Kentucky are on a neutral playing set, I'm taking Western Kentucky. Because I don't think Michigan State has faced a team that can score with regularity, that can score so quickly in so many different ways in the passing game all season. I don't. I think this is the best offense, one of the best offenses that Western Kentucky, this Western Kentucky offense that State's going to play all year. They, you, you, you beat UT Martin. You still put up 60 on them. You put 35 up on Army, and you put 31 up against Indiana. This is a good team. And you'll, pro you'll probably 
be able to pronounce what is it bailey zap or zapay or i think it's zap i don't know it, is, it is zap oh that makes life easy zap and stearns god this is great this is gonna be the world's zap comes into this game 87 for 119 with 13 touchdowns to two picks through for 365 yards and three scores versus excuse me indiana it is, it is zappy my apologies. Zap. Oh, that. Why? See, why can't it just be? Z- I'm Z-A-P? looking at according to the Western Kentucky game notes. It is Zappy. Okay. Anyway, Zappy, Zappy, Zap, Sponge Flash. This is going to be a very entertaining broadcast for Stearns and like, Zappy. Like, like, like whatever you want to call it. Um, they can score. I mean, and then he, you know, he's got the Houston Baptist connection with Jared Stearns. There's a lot of Houston Baptist Husky imprints all over this Western Kentucky so, football program. So, Stearns, how are you going to be calling this uh, when Stearns throws a touchdown pass to Stearns? Because Stearns, Jareth Stearns, has a passing attempt on a trick play. And they have two receivers with the last name Stearns. Yeah, but Josh doesn't play. Stearns on the thing. call. Stearns drops, or Stearns gets the pass. Now he's looking deep, throws it, and Stearns has the ball running into the end zone. Touchdown, Stearns! <laughs> Touchdown, Stearns! And on the call for that play, Stearns! <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's no, what I was thinking. Would, well, see, here's the problem with him, though. His last name is spelt wrong. It's got to be <laughs> S-T-E-A-R-N-S. The S-T-E-R-N-S is incorrect. There's just no other option. I have fought with people for this, and this is personal to me, because when I was a kid, this is how people always spelt my last name. I always forgot the damn A every single time. So, like, whenever I see this, it just, ugh, it's S-T-E-A-R-N-S. God bless America. So, anyone listening that knows Nathan Stearns, please text him S-T-E-R-N-S. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see if Nathan can get an aneurysm and has to go to Sparrow before Saturday's football game. But in all seriousness, no, in all seriousness, this Western Kentucky team has five players with over 100 receiving yards on the season, obviously paced by Gerald, Gerald Stearns, who has 23 catches for 360 yards on the season. You also got to watch out for Mitchell Tinsley and Michael Corley. D'Angelo Malone has the potential to be a game wrecker over at defensive end with 26 and a half career sacks and 45 career tackles for loss. When you go back and you watch film on this Western Kentucky team, it's a lot of up-tempo stuff, empty set stuff, four or five white, four or five Whiteouts at a time, they very rarely run the ball. I mean, it is just air raid, air raid, air raid, West Coast. Like, the epitome, they're basically like Oklahoma, like a, a, a slightly less well-known Oklahoma with how much they can score and how much they can score with regularity. Their method is, we're going to go so fast, you can't substitute. If you do, you're going to have the wrong personnel packaging. They want to make everything hectic. Yeah. They want to make everything as hard as it's humanely possible from a schematic aspect, from a substitution aspect. They just want to, like, it's like when you're a kid and you don't want to go to school, so you take a bucket of mud and you throw it all over your parents' car. It's hectic. What? You can't see where they're going. <laughs> Hold on a second. Have you done Hold this? on, what? Multiple times. <laughs> huh? You guys never got a bucket of mud That's when you were a kid? thing? You guys never got a bucket of mud when you were a kid and threw it all over your parents' Mercury Mountaineers so they couldn't drive you to school? No. <laughs> I think at that point, I wouldn't be going to school. Right. No, I would have gotten I'd be I, locked in my room. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I had, I had a very sore butt for the rest of the day after doing yeah, that. Yeah, so, all right. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say was, yeah, this Western Kentucky team, to me, they almost feel like, you think of Army, and then you just get the exact opposite of that. 
Army is a team that always runs the ball every play. They, wing like, tea. never throw yeah, it. Wing and crap. this is the opposite of that. But Bailey Zappi is the perfect quarterback for that. He transferred from Houston Baptist. He leads the FBS in career yards, 11,500 career yards right now for him between running and passing. And last season, he threw for 101 more yards than any other NCAA quarterback per game. Not overall. 101 per game more than anybody else. 465 passing yards a game last season. Those numbers are just ridiculous. This team can score. They can score fast. But Michigan State's got the advantage with the athletes. They've got better athletes. They like to run. Western Kentucky likes to go up tempo. Michigan State likes to talk about how they're the best conditioned team in the country. We're going to find that out on Saturday. I just... The problem I have with Michigan State in in a game like this, they're not going to stop rotating guys in. They're going to have to. But you go so quickly. There's going to be... I want to place like a prop bet that there's going to be two or three too many men on the field or too many men in the huddle penalties on Michigan State. That's all Western Kentucky does. There's nothing horribly fancy about what they run from a route aspect, from a route combination sort of aspect, but they just go so quickly. They want to make everything hectic. You know, three seconds after you get one check down passes, and then they're banking on the fact that it'll be that there'll be coverage breakdowns on the back end and that defensive linemen are going to be tired and everything. All it comes down to is you have to be incredibly disciplined with your coverage, with your assignments, with getting people on and off the field. And the soft zone stuff worries me because Zappy, Zappy, I got it right. Yes. Is a very disciplined kid. And what, what, what I mean by that is he takes exactly what the defense is giving you. When I went back and watched the Indiana game, when I went back and watched the Army game, if you put five guys deep in coverage or you're on like a deep cover two or cover three shell and you have a bunch of safeties 30 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, check down, check down, check down before you know it, you're at the 15-yard line. This kid doesn't do what he doesn't have to do. There's not one way you're going to be able to beat them. And this is a really big test from a depth perspective, not only for... Chester Kimbrough and Ronald Williams, but for Charles Brantley. Because you are going to play with this five-wide set stuff. You're going to have to have Michael Dowell out in coverage. Dowell, someone who's traditionally succeeded a little bit more in the box, is a blitzer off that left and right side of the offensive line. It's someone who's a really good run-box supporter. But this is the game where Michigan State's secondary is going to have to earn its medal. This is the game where Sugar Weasel and X-Man are going to have to prove that they've really sort of taken a step back or that they've taken a step forward. Do you guys think this is the best offense MSU has faced this season? I say yes just because they're averaging 41.5 points a game. That's the 14th best mark in Division One. I think it definitely might have the most options, um, especially in terms of receiving. I mean, you had four receivers against Indiana that had at least 60 receiving yards, which is kind of insane. I would agree. I don't think it's the most talented offense that they face. I would say that's Miami. But I think it might be the best offense in terms of Bailey Zappi might be the guy that has the most big playability. But I don't even know about that because Adrian Martinez is a walking big play. Now, he's also a walking turnover and a walking get sacked because their offensive line might be the worst. We talked about Michigan State's offensive line. Nebraska's offensive line might be the worst offensive line Michigan State's faced all year. And they played Youngstown State. I mean, Nebraska's offensive line is terrible. 
Martinez has been sacked 18 times in four games or five games. And he probably should have been sacked four or five more against Michigan State that he was able to just break a couple tackles and turn into big plays. But overall, this Western Kentucky team will probably have the best offensive performance because I think they'll be the first team to get over 21 points against Michigan State because nobody's done that yet. But I don't know how I feel if they are the best offense. But as Stearns put on here, and I'm sure we'll get to it in a second, they can't stop a soul on defense. No, they can't. And that's the problem is you operate under the modus operandi of we're going to score 40 points a game and sometimes we're going to give up 45 points a game, but sometimes you're only going to give up 35 points a game. It worries me, though, because we don't have this confirmed, but I'm assuming Drew Beasley is going to be out this week. Jacob Slade and Simeon Barr are playing with that club cast because both of them have fractured bones in their hands and Angelo Gross is nicked up. You're starting to see some injuries on that defensive side of the ball. Granted, you do have depth with Jeff Petrowski and Michael Fletcher and Maverick Hansen. I mean, where's Deshaun Mallory been? That's the other thing. Like, have you guys heard anything? Well, Hunt played last week. I think Mallory played a little bit, but I'm just saying in general, like, they've been non-factors. It's, I been, mean, it's been Simeon Barr on me ever. I think Hansen, yeah. between those two guys, I think they have a combined three tackles on the season, if I remember correctly. I was doing my uh, chart earlier today. Yeah. Um, Hunt has two tackles, and I think Mallory has one. Yeah, that's not good. That is not good at all. I mean, I just... I've been worried about this game for a long time because it's something different than what Michigan State has seen. And you saw when you played a competent front seven who could tackle and who had some sort of experience and cohesion. Obviously, that latter part of no experience, no cohesion applies to Northwestern and Miami who just couldn't tackle a living soul. You saw how a new aspect of a competent front seven really bothered the Michigan State offense. This Michigan State defense has not faced a dynamic through-the-air quarterback. Granted, you had Charleston Rambo go unconscious for, I think it was 12 receptions for 156 yards and a pair of scores against that Michigan State secondary, but King wasn't airing it out. It was more of just that 10 to 15-yard curl route that Michigan State was giving him every time. The problem with the guy like Zappi, is you bring the defense in, you put eight or nine in the box, you play a lot of press coverage, a lot of man-to-man stuff on the outside, Beats you over the top. You back everybody up. You play a soft zone. 10, 15-yard window. 10, 15-yard window. There's not a scheme that you can run that can beat this kid. And that that's what worries me because he's playing like an NFL prospect. The arm strength is real. The connection with Stearns is real. This is a good football team. But this is where I think you're right, Zach. Can't stop anybody. Can't stop a living soul. You have 38 points to Army, and Army's not traditionally a very, they're a very run-and-gun, old-school wing tee operating under the eye, you know, two tight ends, heavy personnel sort of offense, and you still gave up 38 points. Granted, you gave up 33 points to Indiana, and Indiana's a good football team, but the calling card for this team is not their defense, and if it gets into a track meet, I can't pick the team that's on the road and is a group of five school. I can't do it. I think Michigan State's going to have some issues on the back end of the secondary. I think there's going to be problems with miscommunication and missed assignments just because it's so hectic. You can simulate some of this stuff in practice, but it's different in a game. But I still think Michigan State finds a way to win this game. I just think it's going to be too electric. 
And I think Western Kentucky can hang for this team for two, two and a half quarters. But Michigan State has more athletes, more experience, has been more battle-tested. And we've seen Western Kentucky get close to beating Army, get close to beating Indiana, but they haven't found a way to do it. And I think that trend continues. It's a completely different story. You see this in basketball all the time, where a team will be down by 10 or 15. They'll make a 12, 13-point run, get within two, but they can't get over the hump. They're right there but they just can't muster enough juice to get over the hump and slam the door. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen this week. I'm not giving you my pick yet. It's not pick em time. Well, it's not pick em time. spoil it. Well, I, I mean, I, I still, I mean, the good thing is we pick against the spread. I do so. think Michigan State will win this game. I think the athletes are going to come up big. I think the only time that really the Spartans have gotten beat down the field was a couple throws against Northwestern. One, Ronald Williams just got blown by. And the other one was a phenomenal catch over Kalen Gerben, who is no longer on the roster. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I will say that I think that Michigan State does find a way to win this game. It's going to be interesting. And it's going to be exciting because it's something new. You're not going to see this up-tempo, run-and-gun style where their offense is completely one-dimensional through the air. For the rest of the year, you're going to see some teams that succeed on the ground, i.e. Michigan, but there's not one guy on this team who can beat you on the offensive end. There's five guys. There's Jarrah Stearns. There's obviously Zappi who can beat you through the air. There's Tinsley. There's Corley. There's D'Angelo Malone, who, again, is an absolute game record. Like, if you go back and watch some of this kid's film, he's got a motor, and he he's going to blow AJR Curie off the line a couple times. But at the end of the day, this is the important thing. Michigan State, the only game this year where I think they could have rolled out of bed, put on their shoulder pads, and just shown up 30 minutes before game time and won comfortably was against Youngstown State. If you do not show up to play and lay an egg, you are not good enough to beat Western Kentucky. You have to play well. You have to be disciplined. You got to be better than you were against Nebraska because 23 points ain't going to cut it. 23 points is not going to be Western Kentucky. You might have to score in the 40s. But this is a game for me where it's got to be the Kenneth Walker revenge tour. Keep Give the ball to him on the ground. Let your offensive line go to work. And that Stearns, Corley, Tinsley, Zappi combo, um, they can't beat you if they're on the sideline. Well, and, Keep the ball out of their hands and you'll do okay. And you know what is just a crazy stat to me? Kenneth Walker did not look good in that game. He still leads the country in rushing. Mm-hmm. And is still up there in yards per carry. And yeah. he still leads in yards, in yards per game. 19 rushes for 61 yards, and that sort of total wasn't flighted by that 23-yard carry he had in overtime when he was dragged down at the one. If you... He was so mad that he didn't score, and also a whole lot of people were so mad that he didn't score because Michigan State didn't cover because they kicked a field goal. And so, uh, like, we all got that pick wrong on the pick because they didn't get into the end zone. But I don't think they really cared in the end. They picked up the win, but I definitely agree uh, with that statement. Bottom line for me, and I think Mel Tucker would agree with this sentiment, is if you are Michigan State, be, before this year began, if you could outline a scenario where say, you know what, you're going to have some bumps and bruises, but you're going to start off conference play for real. I know you played Nebraska. I know you played Northwestern. I say for real because it's consistently. It's not Northwestern, then two non-conference games, then Nebraska and another non-conference game. It's a consistent conference slate. If you were to tell them you could be 5-0 and 
you take another step toward getting to that six-win threshold for getting to a bowl game, I think they'd be pretty bloody happy. You win this week, you're probably a top 15 football team in the country, which I don't think anybody saw coming. You have all the momentum in the world. My only other thing is I can see a scenario, and maybe I'm wrong here, guys, where Michigan State completely overlooks Western Kentucky. I know the Mel Tucker speech is, oh, that's something that is really stupid, and I can't imagine a scenario in which we do that. You can't crawl inside your players' heads and see what they're thinking. Like, you always hear you practice how you play. When I played in high school, there were times we practiced really, really well and then just laid a deuce on the field in weeks where we played like when we practiced like crap and we went out and beat a team by 40, who was pretty good. It, it just is different with the environment, with so many different other factors. I don't think it helps this team that this game is right before two away games against two solid football teams who are also trying to make a bowl game. Like you put this game right before conference play, where you have to fly out to New Jersey the next week and then drive down to Bloomington. Like if you overlook this team at all, this is the prototypical trap game. If there ever was one. Agreed. Um, <laughs> that was the, that was the bagels. I'm sorry. <laughs> That was too much sun I was, to was going to say, out. we were going to... Dis- oh, I we know just exactly all, like... what you were talking about. You don't think it was aware to me? No. You don't think I didn't have a clue? Yeah, we all just like took a collective second to decide whether we were going to acknowledge or n- acknowledge it or not. But yeah, this could be a trap game, but I think that I think that this would be more likely to be a trap game if Michigan State had played well and beat Nebraska. This Michigan State team is mad about how that game went down. I think Michigan State is able to win this game. I think they're going to show up. And we'll see what I decide on the pick in terms of the spread in a minute. I haven't 100% decided where I'm going with that yet. But... All right, let's rock and roll our final I guess we're getting into it. 15-minute segment. Well, we have a meeting in half an hour. I still have to dump all the footage, and I need some That's a good Taco point. <laughs> need Ar- some Taco Bell. Arkansas, 18-point underdogs as they travel to Georgia... I've gone back and forth on this over and over and over again because the line is so big, but I know Arkansas is a good football team, but Georgia's a better football team. Give me Kirby Smart and the dogs. Give me Arkansas. Um, I just kind of got a feeling I think it will be a great uh, top 10 matchup, and I don't know, Arkansas looks really good. And I think this will really be a um, kind of a, a good litmus I, test, sort of, so to speak. Yeah. What's that? A litmus test, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so if you guys wanted a chance to come back this week, this is probably going to be it because I've got some hot take picks coming. I'm taking Arkansas in this game. Um, I think that pretty much what you said, champion. This is a big spot for them, and this is a team that has a lot of talent. And also, I'm still not convinced that Georgia's offense is that great. So, to cover an 18-point spread, I'm taking Arkansas. To the next game on our pick Cincinnati travels to South Bend to take on Notre Dame. Notre Dame currently two-and-a-half-point favorites. Give me the fighting Brian Kellys, and I hate doing this, but... I know it was close against Wisconsin, but it always seems like in these, like, out, once you get outside of, like, a top five matchup, Notre Dame does pretty good. Like, outside of Clemson, outside of Ohio State, outside of Alabama, 
over the past three or four years, they normally win these kind of games. I like Desmond Ritter. I like Luke Fickle, but I, two and a half points isn't, it's too small of a spread for me, so I got to go with the Irish here. Not only to cover, but I think they win. I also have Notre Dame. I think they're just going to use this game as an opportunity to turn things around this week. Cincinnati does look really good, but I think uh, Notre Dame's going to kind of quiet all that hype for now. Um, Give me Cincinnati. Uh, I think Desmond Ritter and Cincinnati looks good, and this team needs this game. If Cincinnati wants a chance to go to the playoff, they need to win this game. They already beat Indiana, and yes, Indiana's been down, but that's not Cincinnati's fault. And they've already won big games on the road in South Bend. Give me the Bearcats. I need a, I need a thing of Pepto-Bismol now that you mention it. <laughs> Michigan on the road to take on the unranked Wisconsin Badgers. Michigan currently one-point underdogs. Give me the Badgers, and I'll tell you why. You do not want to play an angry Wisconsin team down in Camp Randall. As you said, you were right there against Notre Dame, and the last 10 minutes of the of the fourth quarter, you absolutely blew it. I wasn't convinced before last week when Michigan, I thought, nah, not covered 19 at home against Rutgers. On the road, this is a pissed-off football team. This is a mad, mad football team because you Blew it against Penn State. You were right there. You blew it against Notre Dame. You were right there for the better part of three and a half quarters. Can't imagine that they're going to let this opportunity skate by them, too. I'm a big Paul Chris guy. I think he's one of the best coaches in the country. I got the Badgers. I also have Wisconsin because Michigan just, they're still not. uh, You haven't played on the road. Yeah, you haven't played on the road. Yeah, they don't have much of a resume going for them right now. And um, I mean, they're on the road and I think Wisconsin is just, I think they'll, I could see them winning soundly. Don't get me wrong as a Michigan state student and who with a brother, who's a Michigan fan, I would love to see Michigan lose this game. I'm taking Michigan. Um, I don't think that Graham Mertz is that good out there. Wisconsin's offense is a mess. If Michigan gets Josh Ross back in the middle of that defense, if he plays this weekend, that's a big piece. I think Michigan wins. And as this is kind of shaping up, this is either the week where I'm either going to pull away or it's going to get really close because I am way different than you guys on most of these. So Wisconsin's 2-2, two and two, aren't they? Are they 2-2 two and two or 1-2? 2-2 two and because two, they lost to... Uh, they lost to Penn State and they lost to Notre Dame. Yeah. If Michigan was in the same spot and played the same schedule as Wisconsin, they'd be 2-2. Two and two. So I'm not putting much stock into the record. Ole Miss... I just tri- don't think Wisconsin looks good. I just don't like the way that their offense has been. Yeah, that's Starns, I'll start with this one just to kind of mix it up. Oh, uh, well, I was going to throw it to you. Oh, you were? I okay, was. Okay, we're thinking the same thing. All right. Um, I'm going to go Bama just because Ole Miss, I mean, they've gotten off to a good start, but they just really haven't faced anybody yet, and... Now, the, their first big challenge is the number one team in the country. I think they're going to get blown the heck out. What, you're telling me beating, putting 54 on Austin P and <laughs> and 61 on two lanes not good? Come on, champion. Those are the best power. Those are the best Division One schools in all the country. Nah, give me Alabama. I think this is any relatively easy pick. Good luck stopping Bryce Young in Alabama in Tuscaloosa. This game could get ugly, and it could get ugly pretty damn quickly. Roll Tide. No, I'm kidding. Give me Ole Miss. 
Give me the Rebels. Um, I really think that Ole Miss can not only cover in this game, they can win this game. I am really high on this Ole Miss team. And uh, you guys are laughing at me right now. I don't usually pick against Bama. I really do believe that Ole Miss can win this game. And I don't even have to have them win it. All they got to do is be within two touchdowns. So I'm going to take Ole Miss to cover in this game. Alabama, for some reason, throughout their dynasty, always has trouble with Ole Miss. Like, if they lose a game in a season that's not in, like, the playoff, it's always to Ole Miss. I'm going to take Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss in this game. This is probably the game I've gone back and forth with the most. Ohio State, 15.5 point favorites as they travel to Piscataway to take on Rutgers, where yours truly and my two colleagues will be in a week. Man, this is hard for me. I, I've gone back and forth just because I've not been impressed with that Ohio State offense and all you got to settle on a quarterback, whether it's C.J. Stroud, whether it's Kyle McCord. But at the end of the day, I, I got to pick the Buckeyes here. It just seems like this is this is the week when everything starts to go a little bit. I think Travion Henderson runs all over that Scarlet Knights defense. I, Rutgers is better, but this is one of those lines, and we've seen Ohio State do it time and time again. It'll be... 28 to 23 Ohio State over Rockers with five minutes left in the third quarter, and then they'll score a two flute touchdowns and backdoor cover. So Haskell I, I, the rascal. I was gonna say, yeah, I gotta go with Ohio State here. Um, I can go first this time, right, champion. Sure. Uh, keep mixing it up. I'll for the first time I will join you, Stearns. I'm gonna take Ohio State. Um, I still think Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. And uh, I think they win convincingly on the road. I want to say Ohio State, but I'm going to use this opportunity to switch things up and take Zach's role as <laughs> uh, the outlier here. I'm going to go Rutgers. They're at home. And, you know, they put up a good battle with Michigan, had the opportunity to win quite a few times. Um, but I don't know. I see a bit. I see them covering. Obviously, no win, but. Minnesota, two-and-a-half-point underdogs as they travel to Ross Aid Stadium to take on Purdue and West Lafayette. Aiden, we'll start with you. Um, <laughs> Purdue. Just, I mean, I don't think I'll be uh, picking in Minnesota's favor for a while. After last you want to go, Zach, and then I'll round it off? Um, I want to say Minnesota just because this feels like the game that P.J. Fleck and Minnesota would win. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to go Purdue. I'll go with the safe pick because I don't really want, I can tell you this. I will not be watching this football game. Oh, no, Saturday. neither will I. This is like, and well, so, and th this is what kills me. Like, I wish we had more time where we could talk about conference realignment because they're going to be like Northwestern and Nebraska. It's not a good football game. When Illinois plays Minnesota or Purdue plays Minnesota, there's so many games in the West this year that just suck. I'm going to go Purdue. I'm going to make it three for three. Not only... Did Minnesota lose 14 to 10 to Bowling Green? Remember two weeks ago when they were in a dogfight with Miami of Ohio and they ended up winning like 31 to 26? Like ever since Ibrahim went down, this is not a good football team. And Purdue succeeds at winning these really ugly home games like <laughs> against Illinois when it was 13 to 9. Like it just, it is going to be a slugfest. It's not going to be a pretty game. But when it's not a pretty game, when it's a grunt-esque whatever, you got to pick against, you got to pick the better team who's at home. Give me the fighting Jack Plumbers. <laughs> Final game on our docket, Michigan State, 10 and a half point favorites against Western Kentucky. Zach, we'll throw it over to you. Oh, I'm going first. Give me the Spartans. 
I think this is a game Michigan State wins by double digits. Ten and a half is a big spread, and I don't love that it's this big, but I do think Michigan State covers this game. They've got the better athletes, and they're the better overall team. Give me the Spartans. I'm also taking Michigan State. I think um, it will be a pretty similar game um, in terms of scoring as the Miami game. Uh, I think it will I think Michigan State will pull away in the fourth. They'll have Western Kentucky figured out by then and um I don't see a blowout, but yeah, I do see Michigan State covering. I am going to go different than you guys. I think Michigan State wins this game. Ten and a half points is too big for me. I Again, I think people are sleeping on how bloody good this Western Kentucky offense is. This is something completely different that Michigan State hasn't seen. And you can simulate it in practice, but anyone who's ever played football on any competitive level will tell you that practice and game week are completely different. And I think eventually Michigan State will get accustomed to the up-tempo, spread sort of offensive scheme that Western Kentucky runs, but it's going to take a quarter or two. They're going to need to figure out some things, and that's going to lead to Western Kentucky scoring 28 points. I could see this being a 40 to 35 game. It's just too many points for me for a team that's taken Indiana down to the wire. That's taken army down to the wire. I got to go with Western Kentucky here. Champion. <laughs> God can't help you champion. I am God. Cap. I was going to say, yeah, put, put me on the, I was going to say, if I was in Saudi Arabia right now, they would dig it. They would stone me to death. So at least we're in America. Cause, uh, I don't, uh, they don't like when people walk around saying they're God, but <laughs> yeah, I that's am probably God. not a, it's probably not a smart statement anywhere, but <laughs> I am God. God can't help you champion. Only I can. Anyway, Stern says that he still has a below 500 record in the pick'em. Right, I was second last year. I made a really good comeback. I, you're, I'm three games behind you and there's still five weeks left. Like, yeah, I know. Down, I'm just buddy. messing with you. Say calm down. Oh, buddy. I will. With looking at these picks, there's a very good chance that I will either be like six games in front of everybody or, or not in first after this week. Cause I picked with Stearns on a total of two games. How many? Oh, great. Now I got the little, the little funny pinwheel of death where I can't see how many games. Okay. So I put seven games. So Think, we're different on five games. Yes. If you guys want to see my reaction next week, when I inevitably lose again, and I'm when, six games behind when Ole Miss six, beats Alabama. Yes. When Ole Miss beats Alabama, and when Michigan State beats Western Kentucky by 24, tune in next week to SRZ. Thank you guys for tuning in, as always, from beyond, from behind the host mic. I'm your man, Nathan Stearns, joined alongside by the All-American Charlotte boy, Zach Serdnick, and the pretty beautiful Kudoba PR spokesman, Aiden Champion. Have a great day, folks. 